Hey everyone, if you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. Thanks. Hi, I'm Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, Exit Interviews with the Living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. This week, coming live from Phoenix, Arizona, is Rachel Feek. I met Rachel in a writing group a few years ago, and uh, we have a lot in common. Uh, One thing is that we both went to college in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She went to Carnegie Mellon University, and I went to Pitt, Um, but we were separated by many years. She's uh, a lot younger than me. And uh, she also grew up in California, but Southern California, whereas I'm from Northern California. And uh, on top of that, we both enjoy not only reading, but writing books. So we're here to discover a lot more about Rachel and her views on life and death and all the in-between. So how are you, Rachel? Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. And uh, did I get any of that information wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Nope, that was all correct. And if you don't mind, the first question I usually ask people is, how old are you? Where are you from? by whatever definition you have it, and what generation do you consider yourself a part of? Yeah, um, I am 24. Um, I I am from uh, Los Angeles, California, although I currently live in Phoenix. And I guess I'm probably Gen Z, if that (laughs) fits. Well, you're the first guest to ever uh, identify as Gen Z, and that's interesting enough as it is. But... um... We just kind of asked that so people can be um, relatively aware of like all that. And then also your job is a transportation designer, which is actually really cool. Can you uh, explain what that actually means? Yeah. Uh, so that means I work uh, with a um, design firm and we contract with the city or the county or the states to design uh, roadway infrastructure projects. Um, so this can be Um, Something like building a new freeway or just reconfiguring the lights as a signal to make the traffic flow better or doing a study to see, you know, should we add an extra lane here to help congestion? Would it be uh, fair to say that you are an efficiency expert? (laughs) Uh, my, My brain often works that way, yes, and I have to turn it off sometimes. Awesome. That is my favorite thing in the world, efficiency. And I uh, pine for it and yearn for it. And I had definitely seen you uh, explain it in our writing groups, but I also know that you do it for a living and that's really cool. Uh, so are there any like big, awesome projects you ever helped design or anything that you're really especially proud of? Um, something that was uh, pretty large this year was the uh, upcoming uh, RTP project for the MAG region. And I'll explain what all those acronyms were. Um, so MAG, which is the Maricopa Association of Governments, um, is the MPO that governs Maricopa County. Uh, and so they develop a, uh, 25-year plan, uh, which is the regional transportation plan, um, that is sort of the roadmap for all the projects that they will put out over the next 25 years. And so this spring, I was part of the team that was sifting through the pile of potential projects that they have and assigning, you know, which ones were most important and which ones would be most beneficial to do now versus to do in 2040. Um, We put together a program that is, uh, I think it was getting approved this past week by the local agencies. And so after that, we'll have our, our booklet essentially of projects that will be built from 2025 to 2050. Wow. That's so cool. And you're young enough that you're like, sure, you're going to be alive that long. (laughs) <laughs> yep, I'll have to do it all again. Um, 
Oh, yeah, yeah. What's, like, the number one advice you could give to people if they're like me and they hate traffic? What is, like, the thing you can do as a driver that would best help eliminate traffic? Um, don't drive in it. <laughs> if you know there's going to be traffic on a route, find another route. It doesn't help anybody for you to go on it as well. Yeah. Our local system has quite a few redundancies. Um, you know, most of the local streets run straight through town, and you can take them and turn in all sorts of different directions and get where you're going still. Um, so if you, you know, plan ahead and you know that there's going to be a backup somewhere, you can usually get around it. And uh, I'll take you as an expert because not only do you do it for a living, but you're also from L.A. where I have <laughs> experienced traffic that blew my mind. So, uh, well, shifting gears appropriately uh, in out of the relative uh, of transportation, let's get into kind of metaphysics. Um, the other day you remarked that you attend church and that uh, impressed me because I like people who are interested in anything spiritual. So I was curious if you wanted to share kind of your relationship to Christianity or whatever your opinions are on uh, your upbringing and religion and your relationship to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess I would say that uh, my Christian faith is a large part of my life. Uh, I grew up um, in a Christian home. I guess we attended a sort of a non-denominational Baptist church. Um, specifically, and um, I guess the way that influences my view on, you know, life um, is that, um, you know, God created the world, and he put us in it, and he gave us a mission uh, to, you know, execute the Great Commission, which is to share, you know, the good news of his love for us to all the people of the world, um, and so that is what we should be doing with life. And then after that, uh, you know, we'll join him in heaven and just be having, you know, a big party all together, essentially. Um, I love that view. There's nothing to not love about it. And it's absolutely beautiful. So now my goal will be to pick at it, not in a hoping to tear it down part, but just to hear what the various answers are to the questions. So um, with that said, um, well, the part I love the most is that you're supposed to like spread the word of positivity to people because that is exactly why I'm doing this podcast and why I'm doing a lot of things in my life. So how would you say um, the world works in your opinion as far as like why are there bad things, so to speak? Like why would people even ever question the fact that life is good and goodness is around us? Yeah, um, it's taking it back to, you know, the biblical origin stories, you know, there's the the fall of man, right? So where sin enters the world and essentially it's because there is sin in the world. That's why there is badness. Um, and we live in a, we live in a, you know, a, a corrupt world. That's not really a thing that people dispute very often. Um, there's just bad things all around. And so it's there. And the best we can do is, you know, it's a, try to make the most of it and not contribute to the bad stuff that's around, but it is there because we live in a fallen place. Got it. So in your like mind, like when you wake up and you brush your teeth and you go throughout your day, how often are you fighting like not a depression, like chemically from that, but like an intellectual depression? Like how, how do you cope personally with the idea that yes, this world is absolutely corrupt. You're not, you're not blinking and seeing things wrong. Because you seem like a pretty positive person, I should probably say that. Yeah, and I generally I do, I think I don't think about um, just passively. My mind doesn't tend to go towards the negative things. Um, that's something I've been 
I guess working on personally is getting more just exposed to you know the news cycle and just big events of the world you know because there are giant things happening all the time whether it's different elections or just a natural disaster or buildings collapsing in Florida um, you know things to be aware of um, but I guess the the other side of you know knowing that there is um, you know corruption in the world is that I also have faith that there is the counterforce that is you know God working through um, you know, everyone, but specifically the people who follow him, who are doing their best to, you know, follow his will and, you know, love those around them and just have the best positive impact that they can. Um, and also, you know, cause you can't carry on if you don't have hope in anything. And so, you know, just, yeah, I don't think it's hard for me naturally. I think I'm just blessed to have a more positive outlook on things generally and I just am very content to accept the fact that you know we're doing the best that we can and we're not going to make things perfect but you know we'll try yeah that's really cool and that's really beautiful and one of the reasons I really wanted to interview I wrote you this in the email when I asked you um and again thank you for doing this is um I don't get to talk to a lot of young people anymore I used to teach so I did all the time and so in our in our writing group that I mentioned at the beginning of the show it's like a revolving cast of about 20 of us but you are definitely out of our consistent members by far the youngest and yet you get along with all of us and you kind of uh, have like, like I said, a very good and a positive attitude. So I'm very curious, like how does it feel to be your age and your generation and watching like things like COVID and the last like elections and stuff. And, you know, I mean, I'm not really asking you to get specific about your opinions about anything more of just like, how does this come across to you, like these times? Do these seem like normal? Do they seem abnormal to you? Uh, yeah, I would say this past election cycle is probably the first one that I've been cognizant of in any way. Um, in terms of just having listened to people's arguments, you know, and really seeing the strong push from both sides. Um, and it is... It is disheartening to realize that there is such polarization um, and just anger without some apparent reason in many cases. Um, and often I just find myself thinking, like, why can't everyone just sit down and talk it out? You know, and that just seems like it would help everyone's problems. Um, but I realize that's, you know, it's not that simple and that's not how things work. Um, but just, you know, thinking historically, like, this is not the catastrophic thing that is hit the world or civilization. Um, you know, I was reading a book recently about, you know, the abolitionist movement and all that tied into um, just the, the, uh, the British and French conflicts in the early 1800s, you know, and add to that the whole, you know, issue of slavery. And like, that was big stuff. There were, that was definitely things to shout and throw paper over, you know, and, Right now, there are lots of small issues that people bring up and they consider it like the end of days, you know, but really we're just, we have a difference of opinion on, you know, should we rename this elementary school or not because it was named after someone we didn't like, you know? And so I think having historical perspective on that is like, you know, we're, we need to have some perspective, just, you know, we're not in an utterly terrible place. Cool. And so to bring it back to your metaphysical and your spiritual side, because I love this, I love this interplay. Um, 
Okay, so you went to Carnegie Mellon University. I'm, I'm assuming my memory is correct. You majored in engineering, is that correct? Yes. Okay, mm -hmm. so you're obviously like very smart and very uh, scientifically smart, so to speak. Now, I also know you as a writer, so you have both sides of your brain working, but I'm more interested in the scientific part because not all scientists are atheists, and as a matter of fact, I meet plenty of scientists who are religious, but I'm curious how often in your upbringing, especially at Carnegie Mellon University, how often was your spiritual and religious views confronted with like the scientific view of the world and creation and the future? Yeah, uh, so interestingly, my, I guess, views were most challenged, not scientifically, but socially. Um, and not, not, even, not even speaking from like opinions of peers, but just from the, I guess, academic zeitgeist. Um, and I remember distinctly, uh, I think it was my sophomore year when Trump was elected for the first time. And at that time, I don't think I even voted in that election. I just it was not connected to it at all. Um, but the day after that, um, I went into one of my classes and just all the classes, everyone was very somber and there was this like cloud over campus and it was a very, it's a very liberal um, environment. So that, you know, kind of ties into that. Um, but then like one teacher, there were about eight of us in the class. And so he just was like talking to us and saying, you know, like, I'm here to support you guys. You know, this is a very dark time for everyone. And kind of just spent the whole class just like consoling all of us. And I went out of there afterwards and I went to work and then I would just like call one of my friends. I was like, Hey, can I like come meet you or whatever? And I met them and I just sobbed all over them. And I just didn't explain why either. I just like showed up to them and just like wept all over their shoulder in the middle of the student center. Um, and it wasn't because I was sad that Trump was elected. I didn't care at all, but I just felt so sad that everyone felt so sad and that everyone, <laughs> You know, and everyone was just like, I don't know. And it was like, I just felt like everyone was against like classical ideals at that moment and was just like, you know, oh, the world is ending because our liberalism has not won, you know, and just, I don't know. It was just very overwhelming for some reason. And <laughs> it was a weird moment. Yeah, no, that that's fascinating. And I totally get it. And I, I think you're very brave to tell the story the way you did, because I think that there's a lot of like revisionism and a lot of people who want to like say things broke down or went a certain way, but there was just a lot of us and I'm saying us cause I'm like with you that I was kind of caught in the middle cause I just want people to talk and have a dialogue and like be okay about things. And, and so, yeah, like with, um, cause you also, you grew up in Los Angeles, which is like the second or third most liberal place in America. Um, you know, being from the Bay area, I would argue <laughs> or slightly more actually in a weird way. Uh, and so I'm actually curious, like, how, how does it work? How, how are you, because you are, how are you a liberal person, but you're also part of an organization that is viewed as not being liberal currently? Yeah, um, I think some of that is what I'm still figuring out. Um, I think part of my, you know, journey of the past, you know, six to eight years has been um, taking everything that I've been raised on and I guess, you know, viewing it with a little bit more of the lens of what popular, you know, media has to say about it. Um, you know, so we can just work with a specific example. Um, you know, so in the Bible, it 
you know, specifically in areas condemns, you know, homosexuality. Um, and so, you know, traditionally interpreted, that means, you know, it condemns people who are, you know, um, in a gay relationship or something like that. Um, but then there are also, you know, the more progressive, you know, uh, Christian groups who are, you know, saying no, like it's just a sin, like any other sin, you know, and we all have our own problems. And that's like not the main issue here. The issue is that we need to, you know, show God's love to each other. Um, and I think, you know, just come finding some grounds between, you know, those two things um, has been something that I've been, you know, working through for myself. Um, but on the other hand, sometimes it just means, you know, taking a step back and saying, no, you know, like the the ideal that I was taught is correct and there shouldn't be any, you know, compromise on this issue. Yeah, yeah. So can you give me an example of something from Christianity that you're positive is correct and true and good that maybe sometimes is challenged, but you're willing to like not risk um, like your life over, but like you do want to make sure people understand like, no, this is a really important thing. Like we should all be working harder for this. Is there something like that? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. I guess one thing that I would put more in that category is um, on the issue of abortion. Um, I guess I think I, I, I do not see any like gray area in that like children, um, I mean, I, I'm going to make the caveat of it, except extreme medical circumstances, you know, but in general, you know, children are a gift from God and, you know, it's not something that we should take in our power to say, you know, no, this is not something that I want in my life or, or no, this isn't something I can handle. Um, like they're there. And so, you know, we need to be taking care of them. Yeah. And uh, do you support adoption in those cases? Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, cool. I'm just curious. Again, I'm always just asking questions. So, um, I, and again, I want to thank you. You're being really truthful and honest and I like your opinions and I like what you're sharing and I want our show to be about openness and sharing. And so you're really contributing a side of a huge part of our culture that I want people to be in a dialogue with. So I'm trying to ask the questions I imagine other people wanting to ask you. And so I think the next one I would ask is, more to the topic that we specifically always ask, which is what do you think happens when you die? You said there's like a big party with God. I'm curious, have you ever had a spiritual or supernatural experience? Have you ever had a near death or any just kind of like sublime moment? Uh, wouldn't say anything extreme, um, like near death. I know you've, I've heard your story with the, you know, the helmet, bike helmet incident. Um, <laughs> so nothing like that extreme. There have been moments though where I definitely feel um like connected through some way, either, you know, um God's voice speaking to me or just feeling in tune with a more spiritual atmosphere. Um I would say the latter is like the example with at school when it, the atmosphere was just so weighed down. Like I think that was a spiritual sense, not like, you know, something physical. Um yeah, I mean, just like a, a petty example of something, though, would be like um, in one of my high school classes, I was in a really hard class, and the teacher asked a question, and I was like, oh, I know the answer to this one, you know? And I was like, oh, please, God, like, I just really want the teacher to call me right now, because then they'll be over with, and I know the answer to this one. And then the teacher did, and I was like, wow, you know? 
That's very cool, actually. That's, yeah. Yeah, there's small things like you know, it's like well, people say oh, it's a coincidence, you know, but it's like no, I don't, I don't think that's what it was. <laughs> that's actually one of my favorite things to challenge people on is like the word coincidence means exactly what it means, and it, it does not say that it had to be just luck. It just says it seems like luck. And so I like to challenge people with that. And I, I more than agree with you. And yeah, the, I've never told the bike helmet story on this podcast, but the very, very, very short version is just that I was not going to wear a helmet. And then I saw someone die because they weren't wearing one. I started wearing one. And two weeks later, I got in an accident where I would have died if I was not wearing one. So it's longer, but that's the story I'll tell on this podcast for now. So my point being that, yes, we do get these strange occurrences these things that happen and and yes they can seem petty but they can also seem big and um so uh back to morality and how you live your life and the meaning of life and death and all that um how much are you challenged uh by your belief system like how often do you feel like not taking the higher road and then you force yourself to do it how hard how much conflict comes into your life that way yeah probably not as much as there should be um that's how it always feels. Um, yeah, something like that I've been, you know, more wrestling with as I've been, you know, financially independent and living by myself is, you know, considering the issue of finances. Like, you know, I'm living a comfortable life. I have more than I need. Um, and what is the best way to use the rest of my resources? And so, you know, there's always the flurry of searching and thinking, oh, what's a good local, you know, charity group or children's home that I can, you know, donate to. Um, but then it comes down to being like, oh, well, you know, I guess I don't really know if I have time to go volunteer there or, you know, I guess, well, somebody else will do it or I'll get to it later, you know. Whereas if, you know, it were something I were taking more seriously of, you know, I need to be you know, more actively involved in the community and, you know, helping out any way I can, then I would be making that more of a priority. I totally understand. And I feel the same. I feel that with both charitable organizations and time and also with um, my eating decisions recently. Um, it's been kind of like peeking into me, <laughs> just like the, the ethics and morality of it all, because I know how we raise cows. I know how we do things and I participate and don't participate. And I feel like I'm I could do more, so I kind of relate on that. Um, well, okay, I have another weird kind of fun question because I think you're going to have a good answer to this. I uh, was raised Jewish, but, like, barely even. Uh, really, I was just raised, like, spiritual by really kind hippie parents who told me to love everyone. So I do, and I will, and I never will stop. But I do love meeting religious people from any religion, and I love hearing their favorite stories that motivate them. So I'm curious, do you have a favorite story from the Bible that you could either rehash real quick or that you can relate to our audience that you think would be helpful? Uh, sure. I don't, this one's not really a story, um, but one verse that has um, stuck with me a lot is, um, it's in Isaiah, I think it's 4026 or something around in there. Don't quote me on that. Uh, but it's, <laughs> it's essentially, you know, raise your eyes to the heavens you know, who has created all of this. Um, and I came across the verse when I was doing a project um, for a French class in which I had been documenting the history of a cathedral. And, and so I was, you know, fumbling my way through trying to convey, you know, the different architectural patterns in French, you know, and the history in French and, you know, the importance to the local people. 
but it was just very easy and clear to be able to say this verse. And I think it encapsulates um, like what you feel when you're either inside of the cathedral and you're looking up and just seeing all of the beautiful, you know, arches and lights and windows um, and just sort of the magnificence of creation um, in the same way that when you'd be standing like outside, um, you know, up in the mountains under a starry sky or something. And you just kind of contemplate like the infinite expanse that is everything and just how everything is, you know, so intricate and beautiful and just like way beyond anything like I could try to comprehend completely. So I think that sums up um, a lot of how I feel when I'm just like contemplating God um, is that he's, you know, infinite and um, just so beautiful and powerful in all these little ways that I can and can't see. Yeah. Wow. That was seriously beautiful. That was awesome. Also, I'm laughing internally because you're an engineer. So of course, like the <laughs> architecture of God is what you would see and love and uh, no, and, and you should. And that's so beautiful. Um, I would love, 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 love to end on that note because I think that's profound and something our audience needed to hear. Um, but I do want to ask like one last kind of mini burning question, which is, um, how do you relate like the timing of the Bible versus like the timing of events on earth and stuff? Like, how do you, like, is it a series of like allegories and they're kind of like about real people or are they just stories? Like what's your take on all that? Yeah. Uh, so I say for the whole, I um, would treat them as any other historical document. You know, it's a record of fact. Um, I think some places there is more room for, um, interpretation, um, such as, I mean, you have creation, which I don't really think it's a big deal whether or not it was literally seven days or seven years or 70 years or whatnot. Um, and then there's also the other end of it, Revelation, which is the end times and the apocalypse. And I don't really know if anyone has that one figured out. <laughs> but, you know, I believe that it will be at some point in the future. It has not yet happened. But, you know, I wouldn't take much of that very literally, I don't think. Well, Rachel, you've been a fantastic guest. You really helped me uh, understand a lot about how you see the world. And I'm always telling people specifically Generation Z is like the coolest generation I've seen. And you guys are like on it. I really appreciated what you said. So thank you so much for helping us put another nail in the coffin. And as always, this has been Coffin Talk Exit Interviews with the Living. I am Mike Oppenheim and we will see you soon. Walking alone when I walk